Today's subject, uh, when I was contacted to choose a subject, there could have been various subjects I could have chosen, but I chose the subject of vices in the end of times. Why end of times? Because Akhir Zaman relates to the times we live in. We must not be under any false pretense that we do not live in Akhir Zaman because over 1400 years have passed since Rasulullah so many things have happened. Meaning you just read the timeline of history, even the first 100 years of Islam and you realize so many amazing things have happened that it is astonishing that people would not realize that they are living in the end of times. Even in the previous century, which some people see as a century of civilization, if you inspect that century correctly, you will realize that it was the century in which the atomic bomb was made. And not only was the atomic bomb uh, made, it was also utilized. Human beings were killed in their millions. Never happened before, never happened in human history. Millions of people, just with communism alone, from the time of Karl Marx after writing the Communist Manifesto, and he's buried here in London, East London. His ideology exported throughout the world, and just through that one ideology, tens of millions of human beings died never seen in human history in the Roman times or anything. And then the, the modern world that we live in. So that relates to Akhir Zaman. We're facing Akhir Zaman on a daily basis, especially here living in London. When someone comes from a village like Birmingham and you drive into London, you feel the difference, the difference of uh, meaning. Uh, someone uh, who hosted me said, oh, the Masjid, Harrow Masjid is my local Masjid. And when we say local Masjid in Birmingham, it means you step out of your house and you go literally over the road and it's your local Masjid. But we had to drive to 1.9 miles, uh, miles to get to the Masjid. So for you guys, your experience of Islam, living on the same island as me, your experience of Islam is even different to me. Imagine that. I come from Birmingham to London and your experience of Islam is different to my experience of Islam. Since growing up, we as young children in Birmingham, you would go, you come out of the house, there's a masjid. You go around the corner, there's another masjid. But here in London, which is one of the most major cities of capitalism today, you are experiencing modernity in a way which previous humans did not experience. And that is what we mean by living in Akhirul Zaman. Yes, certain things may not happen in our lifetime, like sometimes when we discuss Akhirul Zaman and the end of times, people think of a Dajjal and the major signs, but you may never experience those things. But what you are experiencing on a daily basis is Akhir Zaman and one hadith which states interestingly that the fitna of a Dajjal, the fitna, this term when we say fit, Dajjalic fitna or fitna of Dajjal, it doesn't necessarily entail that Dajjal is sitting in a cave somewhere and is planning the fitna and it's been carried out the way he plans. No, it's a term utilized for a type of fitna type of tribulation that you face on a daily basis. So, vices in the end of times, there was also in the advertisement, there was the mention of youth. But really, when I think to myself, who said that the youth are only in need of guidance? Sometimes you observe the elders and you realize that they are worse than the youth. Why? Because they've had more years on earth 
in order to develop vices. So what the youth can be told is that in this young age of yours, and what I mean by young, by the way, is anyone under 30. Anyone under the age of 30 is youthful and young. Anyone from 33 to 40 is middle-aged, and then after that, Islamically, you have marahim in Islam. Uh, some of them mention 33 as the, the prime. For instance, they say the ministry of Isa was at the age of 33. Some of them mention the, the age 42 as the prime. But then after that, you end up in Shaykhukha, which is not old age necessary, uh, it's what experience. Shaykhukha is experience. So when the hair starts turning white, it's experience. Experience has made the hair turn white. Some of them say it's to do the, the natural age for the hair to turn white is 42. But before that age, you have youth. And in youth, we are investing for our pension plan. How are we investing in our, for our pension plan? Uh, one of the shiuch in Damascus, his name was al-Shaykh Muhammad al-Arabi. He lived up to the age of 118 with health, good health. I would visit him every so often while I was in Syria. Someone asked him once, how did you reach good old age and healthy and fit? And he said, which means what? We preserved our salah, our prayers in our youth. When we were young, it then preserved us in our old age. Another example of this is in the Shafi'i school, you have a text, Matnul Ghaya wa Taqreeb. It's a text, it's a primer they teach in the Shafi'i school, Matnul Ghaya wa Taqreeb. It's like uh, in the Hanafi school, Ya Quduri. It's a famous text. Uh, the, they refer to it as Matnu Abi Shuja' because the author's name was Abu Shuja'. Now Abu Shuja' lived up to the age of 180. 180. So for when he reached the age 90, he retired and he went to Al Madina and he became a cleaner in the, in, in the masjid. He would light the candles, roll up the, the prayer mats, and they asked him as well, why are you so healthy? You are over a hundred. He said, I never disobeyed Allah, and I believe Allah preserved me. So what we do in our youth as Muslims is we are investing not only in our akhirah, in our hereafter, we are also investing in our dunya. And the Quran states this in Surah Al-Isra. There is a verse, Man amila salihan, whoever does a good action, min dhakarin aw untha, from male and female, does a good action. And he is what? Wa huwa mu'minun. He is a believer. Falanuhiyannahu hayatun tayyiba. We shall make him live a good, pure life, worldly life. There are some people nowadays, they associate uh, what we refer to as iltizam, being strict and uh, observant of our, of our deen. They think this then means that we are restricting ourselves, but we will never enjoy our lives. But the Quran is saying, We shall make him live a pure life. What is a pure life? Remember, the restrictions of the deen, sometimes, you know, these restrictions like, don't do this and do this, and pray your prayers and do this. Sometimes the ego, which, what is the ego? First, let me go into what the ego is. 
because everyone uses the term, but what is it? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created our flesh, meaning our physical body in the wounds of our mothers, the soul is sent from Adam al-Arwah. This soul is referred to in the Quran, Say the 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 ruh is from the command of my Lord. You were only given a small amount of knowledge regarding this ruh. It's basically when we say I and we, I meaning me, what is I, the ruh? This ruh, when it enters the body and it enters from the top point. So the ruh enters from the top point. And the, if, you, if you've ever observed the dead, a person dying, a person dying is referred to as al-muhtadar. If you ever attended when a person dies, they say, in Islam there's certain manners, adab, when you visit someone who's dying, you don't look at them in the eyes. Never look at them in the eyes. Because you may frighten them. You sit towards uh, their knees. You sit near the knees. And you, if you converse with them, you don't look at them. You don't keep staring at them. And one hadith states, Iqra'u yaseen ala mawtakum, which is recite yaseen upon the dead, meaning those who are dying. Al-Imam al says those who are about to die. Why? Because it makes the soul easy to come out. But when the soul does come out, you will observe that firstly the feet, they flop forward. And then, why? Because the soul is coming out of the feet. But the last point will be from the eyes. The person will look upwards. Why is he looking upwards? Because the soul, the last part, it leaves from, from the head. So this soul, when it entered the body, it fused itself with the body and the, the flesh. Because what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Minha khalaqnakum. Minha khalaqnakum. That from it, meaning the soil, we created you. Wa fiha nu'idukum. And back to the earth, we shall return you. Wa minha nukhrijukum taratul ukhra. And from the earth, we shall extract you again. So there is an earthly aspect of the human being which is our flesh but there is a heavenly aspect which is the ruh when that ruh enters the flesh has needs those needs are referred to as nafs those needs are referred to as nafs the body becomes hungry we need to eat the person becomes thirsty he needs to drink the person becomes fatigued he needs to sleep and all the other needs of the human body. This is referred to as nafs. And generally in modern culture, they refer to self-preservation. Uh, and of course, some non-Muslims, they would be confused regarding the nafs uh, because they would say that you give the ego unbridled, unbridled uh, fulfillment of its desires. Whatever you need, you fulfill a hedonistic, lifestyle to the point that when you fulfill every desire what will happen at the end when you fulfill every desire at the end your life becomes empty at the end your life becomes empty why because old age will catch up uh, health will deteriorate money will be squandered and at the end the person is not really enjoying his life but this is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says disbeliever does good actions, we shall make him live a good pure life. How does that apply? How do you live a good pure life? Because the Sharia then gives you guidelines. Like for instance, today everyone talks about obesity. It's become a problem. And the South Asian diet, because Doctors may tell you this, because of our genetics and facing famines and whatnot, when you eat your, uh, your carbs, what happens when you eat all those japatis, the, the weight will go around your organs. Different genetic 
to people in Europe, for instance. When they eat carbs, they are not as affected. But when they eat fatty stuff, they are affected. But when South Asians eat fatty stuff, they can handle it. But that's what, what does the Sunnah tell us? When we look at the Sunnah guidelines, eat one third of the stomach till one third of the stomach is full. Imagine everyone followed that. Britain would never have an obesity problem. Now you have an obesity problem because people are indulging, overindulging, that the nafs is unbridled. It's not limited by a law. So the Sunnah tells us when you eat, eat one third of the food, uh, one third of the stomach limit, put one third of the water limit and leave some third for the space for air. Simple Sunnah. Or imagine, you know, the NHS today faces a crisis that people's teeth, they, have, they need to go on these long waiting lists to have their teeth checked. But imagine everyone used a miswak. Imagine we all use, we just bothered to, okay, in the morning you use your toothbrush and your toothpaste with the fluoride. But then during the day, you quickly have a brush. You won't need these chewing gums that they have now. They claim these chewing gums clean the teeth. Imagine everyone just used a miswak. You wouldn't develop gum problems as, as bad as we do. We wouldn't develop so many things. So there is a hikmah. But the hadith also states that the miswak even uh, rids people of what stomach problems. There's a hadith that mentions that of stomach issues. Ask any doctor that when you have gum disease and diseases of the mouth, that will cause eventually problems within the digestion and other illnesses of the, the, the bowels. A simple sunnah like this. So when we say, when the Quran says, What is it referring to? It's referring to happiness, human happiness, which people are looking for. How do we as humans, but there is one aspect to happiness, which I always mention. Always enjoy the happiness that you have, because happiness never lasts. <coughs> It might sound a bit grim, but at the same time, never be depressed regarding your sadness because sadness will never last. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes us through moments of happiness and of sadness. Sometimes when we're young, you guys were younger, what happens is that in your youth, you have the strength and energy. And you may feel happy, but you will go through some times in your life that you will go on a low. Someone may die in your family. Uh, you may become worried about <coughs> sustenance, risk. That's a major thing. How is that major today? For instance, you live in one of the most expensive cities in the world. You just need to check the prices of a burger meal in Birmingham and a burger meal in London, and you'll realize the extortion in London, and then the sizes of the burgers as well. The sizes we are, when we say burger meal, by the way, uh, someone from Birmingham came to London and they ordered a burger meal, and they received a burger this small, and they paid extortionate amounts of pounds for it. But lifestyle, so living in the most expensive city in the world, what does that lead to? It leads to people worrying about risk, and this is a real major problem. Do not think that if you come from uh, South Asian families or from uh, families which have a good uh, system where people support one another, that that uh, is the norm amongst everyone. No, there are people suffering. There are people who do not have support, support systems, Muslims and non-Muslims. How many people? Every day their houses are being taken by the banks because they cannot keep up with their mortgage payments. That really affects the mental health of people. But does Islam have a solution? The answer is yes. Firstly, with regard to risk, sustenance, young people growing up, 
sometimes in school these uh, mind molding complexes prisons known as schools when they mold your minds they make you fearful of your sustenance that young man if you do not pull up your socks you will not have a means of sustenance or you are these are some of the lines i remember you are treading on thin ice but should we as muslims firstly have fear of a lack of sustenance the answer is no risk sustenance al-imam ahmed bin zaini dahlan rahimallah he states one of the madakhil of shaitan the entry points of shaitan how he enters the mind of people one of the strong points he has is making them fearful about their future prospects of risk of sustenance that's how shaitan enters why do you think sometimes you have imams who can never speak the truth because they think i will lose my job i will lose my position what how does the shaitan attack them that when you lose your job you won't have any means of sustaining your family the answer is no the quran states whoever has what taqwa of allah what is taqwa being mindful of allah first Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make for him exit points, makhrajan. He's in a difficult situation, a door opens. He's in dire straits, a door will open. And he will sustain him, Allah will sustain him. In such a way, in a way that he did not account for. What does that even mean? What it means? The first aspect, you are mindful of Allah. First aspect. Mindful of Allah means not disobeying Him. Not some people, they associate piety with big beards, thobes, imama. Does this mean your pious answer is no? Mindful of Allah means when you are alone at home and there is no one observing you, perhaps except GCHQ. But what happens is what you are mindful of Allah. You are observant of Allah that I should not do any haram because Allah is watching me. This is the meaning of taqwa. This is the meaning of taqwa, not mazahir, outward piety or what enters your heart you are mindful how al-imam ibn hajar al-makki rahimallah he states the inward sin which is referred to as batinul if inward sin is worse than the outward sin how a man he drinks alcohol after drinking he becomes drunk he stays drunk for a few hours he reaches sobriety the next day the, the sin is finished the sin is finished so the angels they record remember there is angel technology angel technology now there is talk about aliens so because the US Congress entertained aliens now people believe in aliens but remember there is a realm of angels that record things that is recorded but then what happens there is another man outwardly he may be pious but inwardly let's say he has hasad envy or arrogance keep arrogance he thinks he's better what happens he enters the masjid he thinks he's better than everyone the angels keep writing the sin down all day he's awake the sin is being written down it's not written down when he goes to sleep he wakes up again he thinks look I'm better than these people the sin continues that is why the inward sin is worse than the outward sin the inward sin is worse like what happened a man entered the masjid and, and the people said to the, the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, look at, he's a pious man, he prays, he does all these acts of worship. 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said he is a man of hell. They were shocked. They were astounded. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam summoned the man. He said, tell the truth. When you entered the masjid, and remember they were the likes of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and others inside of the masjid radiallahu anhu. He said, did you think to yourself you were better than all the people inside? He said, yes. While on the other hand, there is another hadith that there was a man who Rasulullah praised as a person of paradise. Abdullah bin Umar said, I wanted to accompany this man and find out what action did he do that made him exceed everyone else. So he said, he requested, can I stay at your home? just to observe you. The man said, yes. He went to the house. He stayed the night. The man just woke up in the morning. All he did was one supplication and he just prayed his Salatul Fajr. Nothing else. Abdullah bin Umar was astounded. He said, what action do you do by which Rasulullah has praised you? He said, he took into account his actions and he said i can only think of the fact that i have no rancor and hatred for anyone for any muslim no outward actions excessive outward actions he had no rancor he had a clean heart that is a very high status and imagine when someone is like this that they the purity of heart is such those people when they die everyone knows who they are for instance one of my shaykhs Sayyid Abbas Alawi rahmatullah he's a shaykh in Mecca he died in 2015 you can even watch his funeral online in uh, Mecca his funeral first is done in Al-Masjid Al-Haram then they take him to Ma'la and they do other funerals in Ma'la then they bury him people loved him why did they love him because he had kindness in his heart for everyone. Now, I'm not saying I'm like this. I'm saying that there are people like this. But they, are, they have a high status. Why do they have a high status? Because they have pure purity of heart. And these are the people Allah refers to as They shall live pure lives. More example. So, taqwa of Allah, going back risk when you increase in your taqwa piety again not ostentatious piety what is ostentatious piety when you're in the masjid you're sitting there with the quran and you recite and recite and recite and we say masha allah look how beautifully he recites quran and you go home and you're watching netflix and watching television for hours on end binging on television when it should be the opposite, not that you should be watching television in public, but in public, maybe people will not know the level of worship. Sayyid Abbas Alawi gave me an example. And he said in the 1940s and the 1950s, when someone would pray Qiyamul Layl and Tahajjud in the masjid, uh, people would not uh, at home and they would pray Qiyamul Layl. What is Qiyamul Layl? standing up at night and worshiping Allah. What is tahajjud? Going to sleep and then waking up and praying. He said when people did this, no one would know. No one knew that Fulan prays Qiyamul Layl or tahajjud. He said then the Saudi government introduced cameras into the masjid and Qiyamul Layl into the masjid. And then what's that happening? They, when they did the Qiyamul Layl in the masjid, people stand up with the Quran and they cry and, the, and it's all televised. He said this changed the nature of the people that they became more ostentatious of their acts of worship. So taqwa of Allah entails that we do not become ostentatious. But it also entails that we never do haram, what Allah has prohibited. What does this lead to? Taqwa of Allah leads to a strength 
that is unimaginable. Once I, I was in Damascus, this was in the year 2006. The road, Shari Madhat Basha. Uh, Madhat Basha was a governor of Syria during the Ottoman reign. I went to see a Sheikh Ahmed Habbal, Rahmallah. And the road was quiet. It's a, it's a business road, so generally it's very busy, but it was quiet. There were two young men standing outside the shop. They said to me, Can you, we are shy to go in and ask the Sheikh. Remember, the Sheikh was then, by that time, he was about 105 years old. They said, Can you ask him, how do I make myself learn Arabic and speak Arabic? So I went into the shop. As soon as I said, Assalamu alaikum, the Shaykh said, Wa alaikum assalam, but then he said to me, Bi hadid. And then he turned to his son and he said, Muhay Ahmed. And then his son placed his shoes on his feet and they, they walked out. So I came out of the shop and I said, I walked in and the Shaykh just said this to me. He said, With taqwa of Allah, taqwa, what the verse mentioned. You can even bend metal. That's what he said. But what does that mean? The, the young man that I relayed the message to, he said, I understand what that means. I said, what did you understand that as? He said, the Shaykh is conveying that if I have taqwa of Allah, Allah will what? Instruct me and teach me Arabic. Is that from the Quran? Yes. How is it from the Quran? You know the longest verse in the Quran? Which chapter is the longest verse of the Quran? Which surah? In Surah Al-Baqarah. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu idha tadayantum bidaynin ila ajalin musamma. You know this long verse. At the end, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Wattaqullaha wa yu'allimukumullah. So as if to say, you read this long verse, how will you learn this verse? Wattaqullah. Have taqwa of Allah. Allah and Allah will teach you. Meaning the more taqwa you will have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inspire you. Ilham. Ilham. Not divine revelation. Ilham. Inspire your heart to the right thing with increase of taqwa. So knowledge is one thing. But with taqwa, there are unimaginable things a person can achieve. How do you think the likes of Umar ibn Khattab and the thousands of young Arabs who fought jihad in the conquests like Abu Ubaidah bin al-Jarrah he was a young man he wasn't old the, the conqueror of Asham how do you think they achieved such conquests in such a short period of time they were mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what happened? People complained regarding Abu Ubaidah radiallahu What did they say? They said to Umar radiallahu that he, we have a complaint regarding your governor. What complaint do they have? That we see him six days a week and we do not see him one day a week. So Umar radiallahu went to investigate. When he went to investigate, he found Abu, Abu Ubaidah at home and he inquired. He said, why are you absent on one of the days? He said, because I only own one pair of clothing. And because I own only one pair of clothing, I wash this pair of clothing once a week and I, I have no other clothing and I wait for the clothing to dry and then I place the clothing on. Why? Because these people were not thieves like the governors we have today. They did not steal the property of the ummah, of the nation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them victorious. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them victory. They were mindful of Allah to the point that Umar bin Abdul Aziz radiallahu an, what did he have? Uh, he found the treasurer, he found one piece of wood in the Baytul Mal, the public treasury, one piece of wood. So Umar bin Abdul Aziz said uh, to the man, uh, I need something to place my Quran upon. The man went to the Baytul Mal, the treasury, he retrieved a piece of wood. Umar bin Abdul Aziz said, where did you get this piece of wood? He said, it's a useless piece of wood that I found in the Baytul Mal, in the public treasury. He said, you cannot keep this. Go and sell it in the marketplace. The man went and sold it in the marketplace for one dinar, one gold coin. Umar bin Abdul Aziz said, take the gold coin and take an additional gold coin and place it back into the Baytul Mal. That was the level of mindfulness of Allah. Today people think mindfulness is only to have a big beard and an imama that's mindful. No, it's to be honest with the wealth of the people. That you do not steal the money of the public. Imagine all these Muslim charities and the people who collect money and also the, people, the governments, if they were mindful of the wealth of the Ummah, how the wealth would be fairly distributed amongst the poor. How is it that every other person opens a charity in the UK only because it's profitable? We know that the UK, they give uh, these extra bonuses to charities. So everyone all of a sudden wants to become charitable. And because there's no Khilafah, because there's no Caliphate to instruct the people how to distribute the zakat correctly there are so many people taking advantage of zakat distribution they unfairly collect the zakat and then they unfairly distribute the zakat the mindfulness of allah taqwa of allah is not limited to uh, our appearances it entails what we do in private what will happen our state will become as such if we become people of taqwa like the man who went to see al-imam uh, regarding al-imam al-muzani al-imam al-muzani by the way is the uncle to al-imam abu ja'far al-tahawi al-imam al-muzani you know the aqidah tahawiyah his uncle al-muzani he was a student of al-imam muhammad bin idris al-shafi'i he went to see one of the pious people. When he went, this is how Dimyati relates the story. At night time, he needed to do ablution. So in those times, people, they would go out of the house to do ablution. When he attempted to leave the house, he found that there was a wild cat waiting a wild cat. So he avoided going out. He complained to the host. The host came out in front of a lion or whatever wild cat it was. And he said, depart from here. How many times have I told you not to disturb my guests? And the wild cat disappeared. When Al-Imam Al-Muzani completed his wudu, the Shaykh said to him, He said, You straightened your outward actions, but you fear the creation. We straightened our inward and the creation feared us. Why do you think people refer to as Umar, uh, refer to Umar al-Mukhtar as the lion of the desert? An old man, an old man. They refer to him as the lion of the desert. An old man who took on the Italians and they said to him during the occupation, the Italians have mustered planes and tanks Tanks were a new invention post-World War I. 
unseen. It changed the strategy of warfare. It made it extended World War One, barbed wire trenches and tanks. And these Arab fighters coming from the desert with their horses, being told they have surrounded us. And Umar al-Mukhtar said that have they surrounded the Arsh of Allah? And they said no. So he said, the one who is in possession of the Arsh, he is in possession of their tanks and everything else. Eventually they catch Umar Mukhtar. When they capture him, he's hanged. But what does the Quran tell us regarding the Shaheed that he is alive? وَلَا تَقُولُ لِمَنْ يُقْتَلُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتِ Do not say regarding the one who is killed in the way of Allah is dead. Today Mussolini is dead. Who names their child Mussolini? But today Umar al-Mukhtar is alive. Everyone remembers Umar al-Mukhtar. So sometimes we may have outward defeat. But if the people are people of taqwa, if they are people of taqwa, what happened to the Sahabi when he was executed in Makkah al-Mukarramah, when he was taken as a captive uh, by Abu Sufyan, before Abu Sufyan became a Muslim. And he said, do you not wish that Muhammad وسلم, was here in your place and you could go and enjoy yourself with your family? And he said, no. He said, even if a thorn pricks, Muhammad وسلم, I would dislike that. And then his last words were, Ya Muhammadah. And what did they do? They executed him. Or the Sahabi who said, Fustu bi Rabbil Ka'bah. I have won by the Lord of the Ka'bah. I have won. How did he win? Because he was mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, development of taqwa is being mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you can complete things which are unimaginable. Now, when a person becomes like that, strength of Iman, mindful of Allah, the verse states, Allah makes from exit points. How, like the young Sahabi who was a captive, and he's, he was a captive in Mecca and his parents went and they complained to the Messenger of Allah They said, our son is a captive, help us with regard to the background of why this verse was revealed. Help us with regard to his captivity. Rasulullah instructed them to recite La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. They recited La Hawla wa La Quwata illa Billah abundantly. What does La Hawla wa La Quwata illa Billah mean? It means that there is no turning and no strength except with Allah. This is not just a phrase we state, it's a belief, it's a certainty, it's something we experience, it's something we undergo in our daily lives. So it's not just uttering the phrase. They recited this statement of La Hawla wa La Quwata illa Billah, non-stop. What happened to their son? One day the captive became oblivious, neglectful of the captive to the point that he left the fetters untied. So the young man escaped, but he not only escaped, he took a flock of goats. Uh, as Ghanima, war booty, from the Quraysh. He drove the flock of goats all the way to Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara. So not only did he escape his captivity, he also had a flock of goats. And based upon that, the verse was revealed, whoever has taqwa of Allah, Allah makes for him what an exit point. And also, he sustains him from where he does not expect. So today, people 
They are embroiled in what? In the race for earning money to the point we take house mortgages, people take house mortgages. And here, by the way, the, the house prices are extortionate because you pay for a flat maybe 300,000 pounds here in London. More, yes? Okay, 400,000, yes? If you come to Birmingham Sharif with 400,000 pounds, you can buy two homes or you could buy a huge home. Yes, the quality of life is better, you have cheaper food, uh, everything. But nevertheless, but even in Birmingham we are being extorted. How? If you check Uzbekistan today, with 20,000 pound or 40,000 pound, you could buy a mansion with a swimming pool in Uzbekistan. Yet we choose to stay in places which are so enclosed that people are packed like sardine, like uh, tuna fish in a, a tin in the inner city. And then what happens, every day we wake up and we go, well you guys go into the London underground. And people are chasing what? You observe them. Well, I observed this when I did jury service. So, doing jury service was an experience. I went to the Crown Court, and on my way to the Crown Court, I observed the way people were behaving. I was shocked to see that there were homeless people in January winter, sitting on the roads with blankets, and the people were walking past, ignoring them. Later on I realized this is the norm because everyone is dehumanized. Everyone is dehumanized to the point that you pay no attention to that. If you remember in those times there was a person who died in the winter cold of Birmingham. It was in Birmingham. He died in the winter cold. It should be made illegal. The police should be picking up every homeless person and forcing them to stay in a shelter. Forcing them. How can you permit them to sleep on the roads when it's minus? Nevertheless, you observe the people how they behave. And the verse of the Quran comes to mind. Indeed, those who consume a riba. What is a riba usually? لا يقومون. They do not stand up. إلا كما يقوم الذي يتخبطه الشيطان من المس. Except like the one who has been touched by the shaytan. Meaning possessed by shaytan. The one who consumes the riba. Today we have a usurious system. Debt and debt and debt to the point that every one of us here is born in debt. You are born in debt. And then we become wage slaves. We, we only live for a weekly wage. And then we pay rent or pay our mortgages. And then we become old to the point that we die. And then uh, some people, they become old and placed in old people's homes. Old people's homes. Even young Muslims doing this. People who have lost their way. That they place their parents into old people's homes. So this is all because of fear of risk, fear of lack of sustenance. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed our risk to the point that they asked one of the Sufis, how do you know Allah has guaranteed your risk? He said, the one who has created the windmill in reference to his mouth, he will send the wheat and the barley to the windmill. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed my risk. What should make us think? We need to go past asbab, the world of means. The world of means is the physical material world, alam asbab. What we do with asbab we take hold of asbab, but we do not rely on, on the asbab. 
If Allah removes one means, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will replace that means. So we go beyond the world of means. How that we must rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala practically in our daily lives. How can we do that? How can younger people do that? One way of doing that is traveling. You may be surprised, but if you travel for the journey of knowledge, you will undergo a character building experience. A character building experience. If for instance, you decide to go and study the deen of Allah, let's say in Al-Azhar, Al-Sharif, you go to Al-Azhar and you go for four years, five years, you will undergo a character building process. One of those character building processes is when you are thinking that all the means are cut off, the material means, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suddenly make for you a means that will shock you. And this is the meaning of Allah will sustain him in ways which he did not take into account, in ways which he did not deem as possible, Allah will sustain him. So many times why we fall into sins is because of our fear of risk. So we think that some people think that if we do not deal drugs and it's an epidemic in inner city areas, that young Muslims dealing in drugs, dealing in cannabis, turning towards haram means of income because they think that if they did not do this, they will not be able to sustain themselves. But what they do not realize is the difference between halal income and haram income. What is the difference between halal income and haram income? With halal income, when you have halal income, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places barakah in your risk. What is barakah? What is this concept? A man, he goes home, when he enters the home, his wife tells him that the son is ill. He panics and he takes the child to the hospital. He spends hours and hours at the end. It turns out that the son only had a headache. Likewise, he goes home. His wife prepares a meal for him of meat and lavish food. He eats it, but he doesn't feel satisfied. He eats it, but he has stomach problems. He eats it, but he may have health problems, diabetes, cholesterol, heart issues, so many different health issues. He may have sleepless nights, but he is earning millions. That is a lack of barakah in the world. What is barakah in the world? A man, he goes to work, he only earns 50 pound a day, but he goes home, his wife tells him, your son is ill. He says, okay, give him a paracetamol and put him to sleep. The child has a paracetamol, he goes to sleep. He's fine in the morning. The wife places a dish of lentils, dal. He eats it, his stomach is fine. He has no cholesterol, no diabetes, no heart issues. He's well. Time to sleep, he places his head on the pillow, he falls asleep straight away. This is barakah in the wealth. A young man, he believes he must have designer labels. So he walks around with billboards, you know. For some reason, they want to walk around with Giorgio Armani's name on their chest. For some strange reason, you want to wear Giorgio Armani's name on Calvin Klein, some American you've never seen. Calvin Klein, you walk around. This youngster, he spends over a hundred pounds on that top, yet his gas bills are arriving, or his parents' gas bills, extortionate gas bills, thanks to Putin and his war. The gas bills are arriving, and all his mom is depressed. His father is depressed because they are, they are fighting 
the system in paying gas bills and electric bills, but the son is walking around with <coughs> billboards and paying hundreds of pounds. That's a lack of barakah in the, in the earnings. Yet, someone else may go to a, a shop and purchase a jumper for £10, which was made nice. The quality is just as good. £10. He wears the same jumper maybe for years. And the jumper is preserved. It undergoes numerous washes, but the jumper is preserved. The rest of the money he preserves, he places towards his mother, mother's gas bill, electric bill. His mother does dua for him. When his mother does dua for him, that barakah, that dua continues in his life. That is the meaning of barakah in your earnings. So going towards drug dealing for earnings or off-licenses. There are so many Muslims now engrossed in off-licenses that even in Birmingham, at one point it was uncommon to see off-license owners, Muslim off-license owners. Now it's become common. But why are they doing this? Because they have a fear of lack of risk or to maintain a lifestyle which they cannot actually afford. Why maintain a lifestyle which you cannot afford? An example of this. Some young Muslims, men and women, meaning when they become completely westernized, they may be sitting at home, they have a guest. The guest arrives, they order a cup of coffee online. Then you have the delivery arriving, the delivery man. This actually happened. Two cups of coffee and they pay. Maybe London rates would be higher. Double, 20 pounds, 10 pounds. Now, where is the common sense? The person could have ordered a jar of coffee for £3.95 with the and, a, and a gallon of milk for £2.50, depending on the type of milk you're buying. Organic milk, £2.50. You make multiple hundreds of cups of coffee for less than £6. Which one will have baraka? The second one. It's common sense. But again, where is the common sense in the end of times? People lose their minds. And then they complain that there is a lack of baraka in our lives. So, I mentioned earnings, then zina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُ zina. Do not even approach a zina. What, what does this mean? It means do not even approach those things which lead to a zina. إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ السَّبِيلَ Indeed, it is what? Fahisha. What is fahisha? Immoral act. And a bad way of releasing your desires. So what happens? A young man, his desires increase. Why? Because he may see the way women are dressed. And observing of haram, his desires increase. The way of relieving your desires is marriage, nikah. But today, in this day and age, we live in an inverted age. How do we, and parents need to listen to this. Parents, your son or daughter wants to get married and you are telling them, do not get married until you finish your university degree. As if to say the risk is depending on the university degree. That young man or young woman you send away to university to live alone, they are exposed to all the desires in an open and free society. They fall into zina. When they fall into zina, the sin is written in your account. The sin is written in your account because you delayed the nikah. Young people should be married at a young age. Young girls today, they pass the age of childbearing. They, 
the womb even wrinkled. The womb ages. Young women, they pass the age of childbearing. And what happens when they pass the age of 25? Then when they raise children, it becomes difficult for them. In old age, if a woman is having children after the age of 30, it will affect her health. It affects their mental health. One case that came to me from London was a young woman. She contacted the masjid committee saying that my father is prohibiting me from getting married. They inquired with regard to her age. She was past the age of 33. There was nothing wrong with the suitor. When they made further inquiries, they realized the father is delaying the marriage because he needs the daughter's wage to pay off the mortgage payments. Yes? So he's utilizing the daughter's wages to pay off his mortgage payments. Destroying her life. This is one of the effects of riba. But this young woman, they have only one of two choices. They can be good and be patient but they will be mentally affected or they fall into haram. Some of them leave the fold of Islam. Some of them fall into haram, zina, young men and women. So the age of consent, of legal consent of marriage in this country is 18. Once you reach 18, you should be married. You should not be falling into haram. That is the solution. But what happens? Parents, they say, they are not mature enough. How are they going to achieve mental maturity if you are not permitting them to mature in the first place? The very meaning of forming a relationship with a spouse, with a woman, or a woman with a man, is to character build that man or woman. They will never character build if you are marrying them off at the age of 25 and many times they end up doing haram before then. Zina. And then what are the other pitfalls of zina? <clears throat> One of the major pitfalls of zina is unwanted births. People may say we have contraception and other means of preventing unwanted births, but even with the inception of the contraception pill from the 1960s which gave rise to the swinging 60s even after that you have many unwanted births and what happens to those children think about this some of those children are placed in care homes care homes are a place of abuse the minimum force of the minimum amount of abuse is a lack of love minimum that child being raised in a care home has a lack of love how is that child reared and raised it affects their mental health why do you think society sometimes produces psychopaths psychopaths many times are a produce of abuse when they lose empathy so children are not loved but all of that is what a result of a zina of fornication do not think that that, that does not happen one case came to me in birmingham where a young muslim man had slept with a non-muslim woman a child was born the parents with their ignorant culture, ignorant subcontinent culture, they wanted, they said, we do not want to see the child or the woman. Ignorant. They came to me. I said, your son has done the sin. He has done the sin because you are responsible. You should have done his nikah. So I summoned the woman and performed their nikah with the agreement of the parents, convincing the parents. Today, that young Muslim man is married to that woman and the child is being raised in a Muslim home. 
How many ignorant Muslims came to this country in the 1950s, 1960s, committed zina with non-Muslim women and left those children to be raised amongst those non-Muslim people and did not take those Christian women, which is permitted to marry Christian women, even though it's makru in the Hanafi school, it's permitted without karaha in the other schools, but they can many times even make those women Muslim by consent. How many of them abandoned those children? And today those children are living in ignorance because of those Muslims who followed their culture before Islam. That is the harmful effects of zina. So many times young people, they think they can avoid the harmful effects of zina, so they use protection. But they fall into the pitfalls of zina. How? By falling into criminal cases. That they fall into abuse cases. You go to the crime court, how many young Muslims are being convicted for sexual abuse? In cases where they were doing zina. These are the harmful effects of zina. Like we have harmful effects of drugs and alcohol, we have these harmful effects of zina also. So, vices in the end of times, I've mentioned a few of them. These vices, they have their reasons why people fall into those vices. But we as Muslims, young and old, young and old, you would be surprised with some of the elders, how many have been caught going to prostitutes and doing zina in old age. And the hadith warns that the, the man, the man who enters old age and is doing zina, he is far from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A man in old age, a person who outwardly may have a big beard and do all of these types of harams. That's why we should not think that these vices are only prevalent amongst youth. It's a societal problem that we have. And the solution is that we avoid it by being mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.